I want to uh, introduce Carrie Causey here in just a second. Um, throughout this month of September, we have been highlighting ways for us to step into fellowship with one another. How do we step uh, into community, into relationship with each other, so that we can follow Jesus together, so that we can do that together as a, as a church family. So we've highlighted a few different opportunities already. Two weeks ago, Pete shared a little bit about what it could look like to be part of a discipling friendship, meeting with one other person consistently, um, studying scripture together, sharing kind of at a heart level what that, um, what that scripture calls us to be or to do, uh, and then to pray for one another. And so some of you have initiated those kind of friendships. Um, there are little slips in your pew that you could, could still say, hey, that's something I want to do, and can you help me partner up with somebody? Um, last week, Jessie Blake shared with us about her experiences in community uh, through small groups and uh, different small group experiences she's been a part of. And so that's another way that if you're seeking to kind of step into fellowship, uh, that, that you could become uh, part of one of those small groups. And if you don't know how to do that or which group to be a part of, again, there's a, a little card in your pew. You can fill that out, and we will hope to connect you over the next few weeks. Um, but a third way we wanted to highlight is kind of that practical, hands-on way of serving here in the JCC um, body. And Carrie's going to share a little bit about her experience. Carrie's worn lots of different hats over the years here, um, but she's going to share about why that's been important to her and how that's actually helped her um, connect more deeply uh, at, this, at this church. So go ahead, Carrie. Come on, come on up. All right, so I'm going to drive my husband crazy with this microphone thing because I don't like speaking. <laughs> um, so Dave asked me to talk about serving, um, and I had to uh, think about it. Like, what, what does it actually mean to serve? Because like Dave said, there's a lot of different things I've done, and I had to. So I looked in, and I said, so what, what is serving? Like, what is the biblical model of serving? Um, and, you know, the first thing it talks about is using your gifts. And for me, like, I'm not musical, I'm not artsy. And it really actually, like, as a teenager, it took me a really long time to figure out what that was. And really, my gift is, I think teenagers are really cool people. <laughs> and I like hanging out with them, and I like talking with them. And so, um, so for those of you who don't know what your gifts are, I would figure out what, what are the things you gravitate to, like, you know, when we have church picnics, I tend to find myself talking to the teenagers instead of the adults. And so that for me was really, when I kind of came to that, I was like, oh, okay, like this is, this is actually my gift. Like, I think teenagers are cool. <laughs> um, and then the second part of that, as I started to look, was, you know, the Old Testament and Romans and all that talk, talk about work and sacrifice. And I'm like, well, you know, is it work and is it sacrifice? Um, and right now, like Andy and I are We've got the college and career age group that comes to our house, and we do a Bible study and hang out with them and whatnot. And for me, if you know anything about me, I'm in constant motion. Like, I don't like to sit. So while I love having them at the house, the act of, like, sitting down and actually preparing what we're going to talk about for Bible study is really hard. Um, as a teacher, when I do my lesson plans, I'm moving around the classroom. So, like, actually sitting and figuring out like, okay, so what is this lesson? That, that's hard, that takes a lot of discipline for me. So, and I think for everyone, what 
that thing in serving is hard for you is different. Because um, some people actually like sitting. I don't like sitting. <laughs> so I had to think about that. So, you know, there's the act of, you know, what are my gifts? And then there is some sacrifice and there's some work that goes into it. Um, but then kind of the, the part of it is there's some blessings to that. And, you know, um, when I looked it up, when I was looking up what serving it's, you know, it's an expression of thanks and it's a way to build up the body of Christ. Um, and this week as I was going through and preparing this, you know, as a parent, there, your kid sees what you do. And we had to have a conversation about sacrifice and like, yeah, you're not going to be able to do this thing because there's something else you've committed to. Um, but because he sees me do that, it was a different conversation, whereas like, if your kids don't see you serving and doing those things, it's, it's different. But I think that's, you know, especially as a parent, that's how we build each other up, is like, your kids see what you're doing. Um, you know, and then they go and they do the same thing. Um, and then the last piece, which I actually thought was kind of cool, as I was doing this, um, you know, in Proverbs it says, he who waters himself will be watered. And so, yeah, sometimes it's work. And I was thinking about, like, what are those things? And I had to think of, I am not a person that likes staying up past, like, 10 o'clock. Like, I like to be in bed. I'd rather wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and, like, hike up a mountain and watch the sunrise. But there's this thing um, called night flight that we've always done. And for years... I avoided it like the plague because I was like, stay up all night from like, you know, 10 o'clock to like 6 o'clock. That sounds horrible to me. Um, Glenn finally convinced me to do a night of night flight. It was awesome and it was amazing and it was incredible. And even though it was something I had avoided for years, um, like Ella came this year and was like, we've, we've got to resurrect that. Like that was amazing. And I was like, yeah, we've got to do that. So there is that piece of like, when you're doing those things that are hard and their work, when you come out of it, it's, there's a sense of like rejuvenation that you get from like serving, even when it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. So that's kind of what I got from serving and from, yeah, so that's it. <laughs> All right. couple real quick things. Thank you, Carrie, for highlighting um, what service has been like for you at JCC. And Carrie has served, she serves on the youth board right now and works alongside Pete. Um, she's worked with uh, the high school youth ministry. She's done a variety of things with youth. Um, she also serves on our nominating committee. And so this time of the year, as we get kind of to the end of the calendar year, they're going to be going to work and identifying both where we have needs as a church body, what committees, what ministries need additional help and support, um, but also identifying where you might be gifted or passionate or where you might be willing to serve. Um, do we have that slide of the uh, website? If you've got it there, great. If not, um, there is actually a spot on our website you can go. If you're not very familiar with the committees of the church and ways to serve, um, Charnel put together a great little summary um, on our website. You can see Dave Baisley there, um, welcoming us to serve. And um, there are a bunch of descriptions that, that follow. Um, and there's also a way to, to contact the nominating committee through that webpage. There are also these little cards that are in your pews. Again, uh, they'll stay in the pews for the next several weeks. But if you are open to the idea of serving in some way, 
Um, you can fill out your contact information. You can tell us, hey, I know I'd really love to be part of this committee or serve in this particular way, and write that down. That's the first box. Or maybe you're, you're not sure where you fit in um, or where your gifts would be best uh, utilized. But you can tell us a little bit of that, about that at the bottom of the card. These are things I like to do. These are the things I'm drawn to. Um, and again, these will be passed along to our nominating committee. That's uh, Tammy Davis and Carrie and Ben Cordemanche. And there might be one or two others on that committee. And they'll, they'll take some of that data and um, get back in touch with you. So please um, think about that, pray about that. Also, one other detail to mark on your calendars. Through the month of October, um, the nominating committee, again, is going to be doing more of this work. But the last Sunday in October, um, we've marked out 30th, I believe, is that date. Um, we're going to have a lunch, a fellowship lunch, after service that Sunday, so a month from now. And we'll have fellowship and time around the table. But one of the things we'll do at that lunch is share more fully what the different committees and ministries of our church do so that those of you who may be newer here get, a, get a, maybe a, a first-hand sense of what, um, what makes JCC tick. So please continue to think about how you'd like to be connected um, and be in fellowship throughout this, this fall. All right, um, let's go ahead then and turn to the book of 1 John. I'm going to open up to the text there and without too much ado, jump jump right into the passage. We are in the, the book of 1 John. If you turn to chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 6 here in just a minute. But I want to, again, recall sort of where we were last week as we moved into chapter 2. 1 John, I think, is a, a letter written to us, a book written to us, to help us understand sort of the, the basics of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And at the very beginning of chapter 2, John is wrestling with the reality of sin in our lives. And he, he writes there at the beginning of chapter 2 that because Jesus is light, God is light, and in his presence there is no darkness, then to, to follow Jesus means to leave that darkness, that sin in our lives behind. And he wrote to us at the beginning of chapter 2 this assurance that as we step into the light, Jesus is an advocate. Jesus is someone who comes alongside us and stands with us. Someone who atones for our sins. Someone who helps heal and restore and redeem us, even in that place of sin. And then we, we, we heard him describe what it looks like to move out of sin and move into that place of knowing and walking with God. And hearing the voice of God and beginning to obey the voice of God in our lives. So that, he says in verse 6 of chapter 2, that if we claim to live in Jesus, we might actually live like Jesus did. Or we, we sort of summarize that. Dallas Willard says that means that the Christian life is about being with Jesus so that we learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. We spend time in the presence of Jesus, hearing his voice, understanding what he's like, watching the way he lives, watching the way he, he communicates to us his love, learning from him, and then beginning to live like him. This morning, we're going to see what living like Jesus means in terms of our relationships with each other, the quality of relationships, and in particular, how we love one another. Let me uh, pray for us as we 
read this passage from God's word to us. Lord Jesus, I pray that in the illuminating power of your light and your voice and your word, that we would see what you see, that we would hear what you say, and that we, as the children did this morning, that we would choose to follow that light. We would walk differently, that your words to us would lead us into life and into transformation and into deepening love in our relationships with one another. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I speak today, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is 1 John 2, 6 through 11. John writes, Whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, and literally the words there mean loved ones. Loved ones, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and now in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness. And they walk around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Most of John's writing is full of these recurring words and images and themes. Lots of imagery of light and darkness here that we've already encountered in the, the first two chapters of his letter. But John also here talks about this idea of old commands and new commands, and, and we might sort of wonder what, what's he getting at. It's a bit confusing there in verses 6 through 8. But John is alluding to something that all of the, the readers of this book would have been familiar with. He's, he's alluding to, he's pointing back to the gospel he had already, already written, the gospel of John, and the images and languages, language he uses there. If you, if you are able to put your finger in your Bible and turn to John's gospel just for a moment, in the 13th chapter of John's gospel, we, we find the same language of old commands, new commands, represented. And it's, it's in the context of the upper room. It's on the last night of Jesus's earthly life. He's gathered the 12 together there in the upper room for a meal. And he is explaining to them kind of his final instructions, his final commands to them. And what's at the, the heart of Jesus's teaching on that night is a new command, Jesus says. A new command about 
love. We know on that night, Jesus, before the meal took, or I think it was after the meal, he took off the garments of, of a rabbi. He took on the garments of, of a servant, right, a towel around his waist. And he came and he washed each of his disciples' feet in that lowly manner. And after loving them and serving them in this deeply humble way, he returned to them at the table and he said, Tonight a new command I give to you. Love one another. And Jesus says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus commands them to love. And he says that the new piece of that command is that we're called to love each other as Jesus has loved us. Right? To imitate Jesus' love in our love for each other. And that, that new command stuck with John and with the Twelve. And that new command becomes in sort of a central and integral component of what discipleship would look like. I think it's what informs John here in verses 6 and 7 to say, if we claim to have life in Jesus, then we have to live like Jesus. And if we're going to live like Jesus, that means we have to love like Jesus loves us. Jesus' new command is, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So come back with me now to 1 John here in the second chapter. Again, John writes this book after his gospel and in many ways to clarify what his gospel was trying to say. And he says... I'm writing to you what's an old command in the sense that this command should have been central to anything they've, they've heard about the gospel about Jesus from the very beginning. Right? The call to know the God who loves them. The call to, to love in the way God loves. Right? This is it's from the beginning. It's central. It's, it's, it's one of the most basic things about our faith. But yet he's He's identifying it as that new command, the call to love in the way Jesus has loved us. And to love in the way that that Jesus has become this light in the darkness, this light that has come into our world and is not only just meant meant, meant to shine in a way that we look at it and and gaze upon it, but it's meant to actually shine through us. It's meant to transform us. He says, this new command I'm writing to you because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is shining, both in Jesus, he says, but also in you. It's meant to shine. And so the, the question, if, if this is the command, to love others as Jesus has loved us, the question is, how do we keep that new command? How do we not just know that that's what we're supposed to do, but how do we begin to practice it? How do we begin to live it out? And so I've, I've taken both, both John's words in the gospel here of John, but also John's word, words in chapter 2, and I want to break it down into a few parts, a few sub-commands for us this morning to help us get to that practical level. And the first part of that command is something we may actually kind of rush past in our desire 
to love others as, as Jesus has loved us, we may miss the first part that, that the first thing Jesus commands us is to be loved. He says, as I have loved you, love one another. Scripture is pretty clear that love is a learned response. That we love according to the measure we have been loved. And so it's actually Jesus' love for us that is the basis for this command. It's our reference point. It's our source. We can't keep the rest of the command without starting here. As I have loved you. Those are Jesus' words in the upper room. I think it's interesting that John here in in chapter 2, as he dives into this section where he's going to command us to love each other, just like Jesus did. How does he start out that section in verse 7? But to address us as loved ones, right? The Greek word there is agapetoi. It's actually, it shows up in the New Testament about 60 times. It's one of the most common ways the New Testament refers to who we are. The people of God are loved ones. Those who are loved by God. Those who who are beloved in Jesus Christ. Because you are loved ones. Because you have been loved. Then we are commanded to love others. But we're first commanded to get that love of Jesus for us into our bodies, into our persons, into our bones, into our habits. Jesus says later on that same night in the upper room, right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you and remain in my love. Abide in my love. The the word there literally means not just sort of visit or, or get a passing through kind of taste of my love, but, but build your house. Take residence in my love for you. That's what that word abide or remain means. Make your dwelling place in that love. So I think John wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know, that until we are informed by Jesus' love for us, the way he has loved us. Until that, that love isn't just information, but it actually forms who we are. We cannot keep the rest of this command. So my question for you, my first question is, how well are you doing at the command to be loved? How well are you keeping the command to be loved? How well are you keeping the command to remain in the love of Jesus for you. Try to give you just some really practical ways that you might practice being loved, remaining in the love of Christ. One simple way you could do that is is by practicing Sabbath rest on Sunday afternoon or maybe at a different time during your week. But coming to God with your needs, with all your concerns, all the things that you are working toward and working for and working to hold together, and handing them off even just for a few hours, a part of a day, so that you can actually rest in the beauty and the goodness and the love of God for you. You can remember that God has made you to know his pleasure, 
and to know his concern and to know his love. I used to have a, a seminary professor who, when he would drink a good cup of coffee or he would have a glass of Australian Shiraz, for him it was a worship experience. He would, he would just light up and he would, he would say, can you believe that God loves us enough to have created things like this for our pleasure? Simple gifts. But he was passionate about those things. God must really love us if he designs these, these incredible gifts for us to partake in. We can experience the love of God in, in gathered worship like this on a Sunday morning being surrounded by people who love us and care for us, calling to mind the love of God for us in song and in the proclamation of the word. We can remain in the love of God for us through the practice of conversational prayer, stillness, solitude. However you can turn your attention, turn your gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ, and the way he loves you, the depths of his love for you, in a practical way, in an embodied way, in a habitual way, is a way for you to, to begin keeping this command to love. And while I think we, we need first to, to begin with these receptive ways to practice being loved by Jesus, being renewed by Jesus, John is clear here in his command that, that that's not enough. That's the first part of this command. But the second part also has to be completed. They need to inspire. The, the love of God for us, the way we are loved, needs to inspire us to love one another. It needs to produce in us an imitation of that love. Because I am so greatly loved by Jesus, drawing from the immensity of that love, I'm then commanded to produce that love in kind. And so the second piece of this command is that we are to be lovers. We are commanded to be loved, and therefore we are commanded to be lovers. And notice John's language doesn't, doesn't suggest that this is like an add-on option, an upgrade, right? something we can sort of put on at the end. John holds these two things together. Jesus holds these two things together and says, both of these, to be loved by me and to love as I love, they're both part of my new command. And John presents this, this command as a choice between walking in the darkness and walking in the light. The end of verse 8. He says that the love of Jesus now shines in our world as, as the light of the world. It's illuminating our world. It's showing us the way of Jesus. It's showing us the kingdom of Jesus. And it's pushing back the darkness. But we have to choose whether we are going to walk in that light ourselves. Or whether we remain in the darkness. Whether we remain in that place of, of our own shame, maybe our own condemnation, our own uncertainty about whether we ourselves are loved. And as we remain there, we, we remain then hesitant to love others. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, Those who love their brothers and sisters live in the light of God. But anyone who hates their brother or sister walks in the darkness. 
Right? John seems to make it pretty simple, pretty black and white, light and darkness. And that, that might actually, on first, first glance, seem overly simplistic to us. Like, what is John telling us that we don't already know? Don't all of us know that love is good and hate is bad? Right? We, have, we have bumper stickers that say as much. Why would any of us choose to walk in the darkness? I think John's point is not just to tell us information. We all know we should love one another. We all should love. But that should isn't always enough to make us real lovers. That should is not always enough to make us love as Jesus loves us. So how do we actually grow into the kind of love Jesus has? In his comment on this this passage in 1 John 2, Gary Burge, a New Testament scholar, says this. He says, the ultimate test of obedient love, the kind of love John's talking about, is whether we are able to love the unlovely. He says, love becomes a genuine value only when it is tested. Only when we must reach beyond ourselves and love someone we do not wish to love. That's not so simplistic. That's not so obvious to our instincts. Jesus says, you've you've heard it said, love one another but hate your enemies. But I say to you, love each other, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. Right, the test of love here, if we're to love as Jesus loves us, then we have to love even those we do not wish to, do not desire to love. Gary Burge, who wrote that, that previous comment, says, if love is sometimes harder to do than we are initially led on, then hate may actually be easier for us to slip into than we, we sometimes acknowledge as well. He points out how quickly we, we dismiss the command to love others when we're certain that we are in the right. right. When we think we are in the light, then we have no cause for concern or to love or to, to serve or to be in relationship with those in the darkness. It says the trap of self-righteousness can so often excuse us from this command. In the heat of an argument, in the heat of an issue, in the heat of a family conflict, we we leave off Jesus' call to love as he loves. But John warns us here in verse 11, chapter 2, that when we give hate a place in our, in our hearts and spirits. That we can be deceived to the point where we become blind. We become disoriented. We become lost. We need the illuminating presence of Jesus to help us see things as they really are and to see ourselves as we really are. Right? I need Jesus' help to keep me connected as a lover in the way he loves. I need his help to keep that command. 
And so that means I need a way of detecting in my own heart when I'm walking in the light and when I'm drifting off into the darkness. When I'm truly loving as Jesus loves and when I'm making excuses about my blind spots. I need a kind of light meter to, to take a reading. Made me think about uh, if you've had friends who are photographers, some of, some of them, if they're serious about that craft, they'll have these little gauges in their bags. They're called light meters. And if they have a, a pretty important shot that they want to take, they'll pull this, this little instrument out of their bag and they'll use it to detect specific light levels in a, in a situation, in an environment, that their own eyes maybe aren't sensitive, sensitive enough to pick up. Right? If you have a, a light meter, you can figure out the answer to the question, how much light am I standing in right now? It measures, it shows things that maybe we don't automatically detect ourselves. And so as, as lovers, we also need an instrument to help us gauge how much light are we walking in. And, and may we be walking off into the darkness without knowing it. A, a gauge, a, a diagnostic tool that someone shared with me this year as part of a, a class I've been taking it's something that I think of as a kind of relational light meter that you can pull out at any given moment and, and say, how much light am I walking in? How much love am I walking in? And they, they call this the grace and truth matrix. And it's laid out, again, sort of in four quadrants. You can think of like an XY axis. And the point of this tool is to help us gauge the way we're relating the quality of our relationship with any person or group of people at any given moment. And to help us identify, am I walking in the full light, in the full love of Jesus? Or have I kind of given myself an excuse part way, one way or the other? Let me give you a really quick introduction. The, the, the tool is laid out, again, on these axes. And so from left to right, is a measurement of how fully we're speaking the truth in that relationship with a person. How fully or freely do you feel the, the ability to name the things that are, are good and true and need to be spoken, but also maybe things that aren't the way they should be? Things that are troubling you, things that need to be expressed in honesty in order for that relationship to heal or to grow. Right? How fully do we feel to speak the truth in that relationship. You could be low on truth, you could be high on truth. From bottom to top is the kind of posture or attitude that we, we take in that relationship with another person. Are we gracious toward them? Are we compassionate toward them? Do we actually desire to be connected to them in relationship? So it's, it's kind of a measure of our presence to that person. Are we Low on grace, or are we high on grace? Of course, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, says Jesus comes to the earth from the Father, full of both of these things, full of grace, full of truth. That's how Jesus relates to us. But do we relate with others in the same way? And so we could find ourselves in one of four places on this quadrant. We could find ourselves operating high truth but low grace 
in a relationship. And this is where, where, where we call others out, right? We seek to overpower, with, over, overpower with them with our rightness. Let me tell you where you are wrong. Let me tell you where I am right. And we may even see the truth. We may even be communicating things that are true. But there's a way to be right in the wrong way, right? Are we full of truth but low on grace? Right? If, if we're relating in that way, we are not loving others the way Jesus loves us. We're speaking the truth, but we are not showing the grace and the compassion and the mercy of Jesus to be in relationship with them as we do. So that's, that's one place maybe where we fall short. On the other, other end of the extreme, right, we can overcorrect and we can seek to be so full of grace, so full of compassion, so full of taking care of others' feelings that we don't speak the truth. Right? We don't want to create controversy. We don't want to bring up things that make people uncomfortable. We don't want to be vulnerable or to ask another to be vulnerable with us. And so we show lots of grace, but we avoid speaking the truth. Right? And in, in the interest of peacemaking, we don't engage in the important things, the things that need to be said, the places that we need to grow in a relationship with someone. Right? And we could call that being in hangout mode. Right? Let's just all kind of get along. We won't talk about the things that are difficult. And that's actually disempowering because it, it makes us afraid to walk in the light. And that also falls short of the command to love as Jesus loves. Because Jesus loves us full of grace and truth. You see Jesus in the Gospels. He doesn't hide from the things that need to be said. Right? He names them. He calls us into the light. He reveals them so that he can love us in that place. third place that we, we might detect our relationships heading on this grace and truth matrix is down into the lower left quadrant. Sometimes through our exhaustion trying to manage relationships, or maybe we, we're, we're just tired of going back and forth between grace and truth, maybe someone hurts us along the way in this process. And so our instinct becomes to withdraw, right? To check out of that relationship. We give up on practicing grace and truth. And we start avoiding or ignoring other people. And of course, you can't love someone as Jesus loves them if you're not in a relationship with them, right? So these are, these are all ways that maybe we make a, a partial attempt to love as Jesus loves. But there's one quadrant here. There's one remaining option that hopefully gives us the courage to step into because it's, it's the place Jesus knows us. It's the, the way Jesus relates to us. It's the way he ministers to us. And it's, it's full of grace, full of truth. Jesus calls us into that place. And he calls us to step into that place with each other. As Matt, Tebby, and Ben Sternke, the, the people who developed this diagram, expressed, they said, Jesus' grace 
being full of grace is about reaching out toward others to connect with them and to be with them wherever they are. And Jesus' truth is all about seeing people as God sees them and calling them to live into their true identity in Christ. In grace, we seek to be with others where they are. In truth, we desire to see them as Christ sees them, express to them who they are in Christ, who he calls them to be. This is the way Jesus loves us. He doesn't doesn't go back and forth between these two things. He does both of them at once, all the time. And he commands us to do the same. I invite you to, to think about this week, maybe where you're at as you're operating with people at home, as you're operating with people at work, as you're engaging with one another here. Where do you find yourself in this tool? Are you, are you walking in the fullness of the light and love of Jesus, his grace and his truth? I want to just finish by highlighting, we have these cards again this week. If you're doing those discipling friendships, you can grab one. Even if you're not, maybe you do this with a spouse or someone at home, someone in your small group. These are are three ways to actually try to practice this new command. The first question has to do with how are you practicing or choosing to experience God's love for you? How do you have a habit of, of abiding in the love of Christ? The second has to do with when that that command to love someone else gets difficult. When has that command to love someone else been challenging for you? And what did you need? Maybe what do you need right now to keep walking in the light there? And then maybe as an extension of that second question, try out this grace and truth matrix. Pick one relationship, an important relationship, a significant relationship in your life, and try to identify where, where you're relating in that relationship. Maybe it moves around from day to day or week to week. Are you relating in call-in? Are you relating in hangout? Are you relating in checkout? What would it look like to to call in, to step into grace and truth with that person? Let me pray for us as we, we seek to do that which Jesus has commanded us. Lord, we we're grateful that this is not a call you send us out to figure out on our own but that you walk with us, you remain beside us, you speak to us. And Lord, even if we try this out and and fail, which we will, you come alongside us and, and teach us how to grow, how to keep growing into the full measure of your love for us. Pray that your children, the, the members of this body, would have great courage to practice their love for each other because you so greatly love us. In your name we pray. Amen.